I'm Jeff Murphy from Boston University Alumni Relations, and I'm your host for an interview series showcasing the career paths of our most interesting and accomplished alumni. Welcome to the Proud to Be You podcast. My guest today is Christine Fletcher, a partner at the Burns and Levinson Law Firm here in Boston. Christine actually earned her degree in French language and literature from BU's College of Arts and Sciences in the class of 1991. We spoke about the lessons she's learned from the study of language, the business and practice of law, and why she wishes she started networking way earlier in her career. Christine, thank you so much for agreeing to, to do this interview for our podcast. I'm really excited to chat with you. Um, if you could just get us started by giving us a little bit of a background. Uh, did you grow up in New England or are you from elsewhere? No, I'm from New Jersey. And like so many kids from New Jersey at that time, going to school in Boston was one of the ideal things to do. It was wonderful. So did you grow up knowing that you wanted to be a lawyer? Did, did you have lawyers in your family? Is that how you sort of ended up in the profession or how did that how did that developed for you as a kid? No, I no lawyers in the family. And in terms of my immediate family, I was actually the first one to graduate college. My brother, who was a year older, went to Northeastern. So he was on the five-year plan and graduated a year after me, So I, a month after me, rather. So um, I was actually the first one to graduate. There were no lawyers in my family. I was uh, I loved French in high school and decided to continue studying French in college because that's just what I like to do. And then probably about my junior year, I kind of looked at my options. And if I had stayed with the French track in terms of an academic career in, in French, I would have gone on to, got, to get a master's and probably uh, become a teacher or worked in the university setting. And I that was interesting to me, but I found that in the academics in the academic circles you were really working and and speaking and presenting articles and ideas and theories about French language and literature in the same group. And so I thought I would have much more of an impact on people's lives if I went to law school and became a lawyer. So that's why I, why I decided to go to law school. Okay. So uh, I'm curious to know how you ended up from New Jersey to Boston and at, at Boston University specifically. Was it wanting to be in the city, but maybe not at the same place as your brother? Or how did you pick B? <laughs> Well, it was funny because um, I, I got into BU and thought about going there. My brother, who was at Northeastern, said, don't go, you won't like it. And this probably, you know, I, I laugh now with my own children. I should not have listened to my brother. It was a terrible piece of advice. But I, so I deferred going for a year. And I went to a smaller school that had offered me a scholarship. And I thought, well, I'll just go there for a year and see what I want to do. And as soon as I got there, I knew I should have got to BU. And I called up BU and they were great. They said, yep, yeah, you can come come in as a uh, transfer student, second sophomore year. And that's what I did. And as soon as I got to BU, I absolutely loved it. And I, and I do think having that experience of being at a small school for a year really made me appreciate everything that BU had to offer. And I remember watching one of my professors, my anthropology professor on a PBS broadcast when I had first gotten there. And it, that was just so amazing to me that the people who were teaching me were actually out there doing this type of work and were experts in their fields. And that was just so wonderful. 
Well, the whole point of, of today's conversation is to dive into your career a little bit. We'll certainly get to the meat of that. But now that we've chronologically landed you on the BU campus, um, we do a thing in the podcast that we're sort of lovingly calling the BU lightning round just to hear more about your experience. Where did you live on campus? So I lived uh, in a, con, uh, a brownstone on Beacon Street with a number of other transfer students. And I thought BU was, did a really great job of assimilating the transfer students into the university. And I loved living in the Brownstone. It was it was wonderful. And did you have any sort of favorite hangouts on campus, places that you like to grab a bite to eat on Com Ave, anything that sort of stands out in your memory? Uh, well, we often spent a lot of time at Marsh Plaza, kind of in between classes, meeting up with folks there. And at the student union, um, I think it was called the George Sherman Union yep. back then. I don't know if still it is. still is. <laughs> yep, it is. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, this was kind of early 90s. So a lot of the girls or, or women college students, we always got our hair done at Delaria. So that, that was a big <laughs> okay. thing, that's, Delaria. That's a, it's still yeah. there. You'll be happy to know. Yeah, that's, that's what I heard, yeah. <laughs> what, what kind of things were you doing outside of the classroom? Uh, were, were there any sort of student clubs or organizations that you were part of that sort of augmented your experience, your learning? What were you, what were you doing on weekends to, to, you know, socialize with folks? You know, for, for me, so much of my BU experience was the city itself. And I loved being in a city. I loved being in Boston and I loved exploring the city. And so whenever I had any free time outside of the classroom, that's what I was doing. I, I can remember walking from the BU campus down all the way down Newberry Street or Com Ave and going past Faneuil Hall and going to uh, Filene's basement <laughs> and just spending the day just walking through the city or going to the Museum of Fine Arts or the Museum of Science and taking advantage of everything the city had to offer. So that was so much a part of my BU experience was exploring Boston and living in an urban environment. And I, it's so true, I think, of a lot of people's experience. And one of the reasons that people find themselves at BU is to have that experience in the city. But let's talk more about your your program of study here at BU. You've touched on this a little bit about, you know, knowing that there were these experts being, you know, showcased on television that were teaching you in the classroom. Can you talk a little bit more about sort of classes that you remember as being especially important or professors that you had that really stood out as, as folks that impacted you and, and your, the life you've had since then? My uh, French professor, uh, who was my uh, mentor, I, um, I forget the term they used for it, like your advisor, I guess, mm -hmm. um, Susan Jackson, she was, and I think she just passed away a she few did. years ago. Yeah. yeah. She was wonderful. She, I really enjoyed uh, spending time with her and having her help me with all of my academic, all the academic aspects. There was a, a French film class I took with, I think it was Professor Klein, T. T Jefferson Klein, I think was his name. And he was, he was great as well. The classes were really enjoyable. Um, a lot, I took a lot of English literature classes too. And so, um, those were just, they kind of just opened up your mind to different ways of thinking and different experiences. So th those are the things I remember most about, uh, about the classes, just getting into the analytics and learning how to analyze text, whether that was in French or, or in English. Mm -hmm. And that obviously has direct sort of implications for, for law school, that the ability to analyze what you're reading. And uh, so I'm curious to, if you could elaborate a little bit more. You touched on this already about, you know, you're, you're passionate about French, um, but also thinking about, you know, having a, an impactful career, that kind of thing. So, you know, at what point did you sort of say, like, yes, I, I love French, but I'm going to go to law school? 
Well, I think it was um, like junior, senior year when I decided that that's what I wanted to do because I, I felt like I would have m- more of an impact with helping people and dealing with people's lives. And it's funny because when I when I got to law school and, and since I've been a lawyer, a lot of people will ask about what I studied in college and they'll say, oh, French, you know, what did you do with that? And actually, it really prepared me for being a lawyer because I went from reading texts in French, which wasn't my native language, to reading legal treatises, which are kind of like foreign languages, mm-hmm. and being able to analyze them and dissect them. And I thought that was really great training for for my years in law school. So it was really a benefit to me. And I really, I didn't really realize it at the time, but, you know, looking back, it was wonderful training and preparation. So junior, senior year at BU, you're thinking about law school and you've got a decision to make. Do you, I mean, do you, at what point do you decide? It, I believe you went right to law school right out of undergrad or did, was there a break in there at all? No, I went right to, I went right to law school. I just dove right in. You know, I, that's, I, that's, I guess, kind of how I tend tend to live life and, and deal with life's major events is to just, you know, go with it, dive right in, make my decision and don't look back. And so you went to law school at Syracuse, right? Yes. And of course, you didn't have nearly as good an experience at another institution that you did at BU. <laughs> no, I joke, of course. No, it's, it's, yeah. But you came back. I, I think you came back to New England right after law school. Was that always in your mind or did you kind of not know where you might end up? Well, I didn't know. Um my husband and I, what I was didn't plan on doing in law school was meet, meeting someone and getting married. So my, my husband and I met first year. We married second year and had our first child third year oh, wow. in law school. Yeah. So we got out and you know we had this small child. And my husband's from the Boston area. Okay. So we actually lived in the New York City area for a few years. And then for to be closer to his family, we moved up to um, Massachusetts. And we've been here since. So that's been 20 plus years now. So if you would tell us a little bit about the experience of being a uh, newly minted lawyer fresh out of law school, what kind of work are you looking for at that point? Uh, and, you know, how, what are the, those first few years like of, of establishing yourself in the legal field? So at that time, the job market was not great, especially for lawyers. And so it was really get whatever job you could possibly get. And my husband and I do owe a a lot of thanks to BU because at that time when you would go into the law schools, they actually had books where you had to go and look for jobs. There were big binders in all the the law schools. And so we, on one visit to- the 90s, a lot of people talk about these binders. (laughs) So uh, at one point we were at BU and, uh, you know, I wasn't a BU law school alum, but I was a BU alum and we went into the law school department and we, we found my husband husband a job and we had decided whoever got a job first that would dictate where we went. So he actually got his first job through through that assistance of BU Law School. So we owe them a, a lot of, of gratitude. Um, That's great to hear. Yeah. But then so, you know, then we, we ended up in the New York area for a little bit and I started my job search. And at that point, when the job market's bad and you're a new lawyer, you you know, you need experience, anything to get experience. And so that was really the goal. And so I started volunteering um, at a, a, a legal services project um, and did that for a few months and met somebody there who knew of a position. And then that led me to a position. And so then that kind of snowballed. And then once you get a few years of experience under your belt, then you really have the opportunity to go in different places. 
So uh, those uh, th- those early years of, of full-time work, what kind of projects are you working on? And do you, do you find it rewarding or, or is it sort of like, you know, you're the low person on the totem pole and, and you do the, the things that you're assigned and you have to kind of muddle through before you can get to projects that you're really excited about? Well, there is an element of that. I mean, work is work and everything you do isn't going to be your favorite project. Um, at that time, because we had a... Um, our daughter was young, we had decided that I would work part-time. So in in most of my er- early career, and this is where I think I, I have a lot of, my situation is, is somewhat unique, especially for a lawyer. I worked part-time until my kids were, I think until my daughter was in high school. And over time, I worked two, three, four days a week, gradually increasing my time in the office based on, on them growing up. And so the my area of law afforded me that ability. So that was really wonderful for me. And then once they hit high school and I could take off in my career and I, I made a jump, there was a point where I made a jump to, a, to the firm I'm currently at and was able to, at that point, really, my career just took off from that point on. So you've been at Burns and Levinson now for how long? Was it just about eight years or so? Yes, about eight years. Yes. And did you, um, at what point in your career as a lawyer, were you like, uh, and I'm asking this question kind of as an outsider, I, I don't know much about the legal field, but are, is there that always that drive to, I need to make partner? Was that kind of part of your reasoning for, because the firm that you were at before Burns and Levinson, you were also there for a very long time. I think it, I looked on your LinkedIn, it was like 11 years or something like that. Um, was that part of your motivation was making partner? I, I think so. I mean, that, for me, I was at a small firm for so long, and there are definitely benefits to being at a small firm, but I always wanted to be at a big firm, and I wanted to be at a partner at a big firm. So that was part of my motivation to move and to increase my practice and to increase the type of uh, clients that I was working with. So that was definitely part of my motivation. I think in the early years, there you really have to learn your trade. I mean, there's an element of you You have to learn how to be a lawyer and how to be a good lawyer. And, you know, once you get that, there's also the aspect of the business of law. And the business of law is something I find that they don't teach you in law school. And I've been asking some of the law students and the young lawyers if, if they teach that now. And, and I don't know if they, the law schools are catching on to that quite yet. But there's a whole area of the business of law and you know, what it takes to run a law firm, how do you how you get clients, how you keep clients, how you bill clients. I mean, that's a, a big part of it. So when you look back over your career, you know, you talked about it needing to after law school, learning to be a good lawyer. I'm wondering if there were sort of hard lessons that you learned along the way that you would share with somebody who's interested, you know, maybe a, a, a newly minted uh, JD or, or something along those lines. Um, well, I think that the thing I mostly wish I knew then is I wish I had started to network earlier. And I didn't I didn't realize at the time the importance of networking in terms of your career and also in terms of developing business and, and generating clients. So I, I when I made the decision that I wanted to go into a bigger firm in Boston, I started that networking process. And I wish I had done that 10 years earlier because my network would have been so much greater. 
That's so that's great advice and something that we spend a lot of time talking about with with students and alumni. And, and I think I think people know now that it, it needs to be a crucial piece of, of helping build and develop their career. I'm wondering if for a second week, if you could share with me, I, I have to I have to assume that there are constantly alumni and, and students from BU that are looking to connect with you. What advice would you give them about being a good networker? Um, what, when people approach you, what are the things that they do well and, and what pitfalls? falls would you suggest that they avoid when they're trying to reach out for advice and networking? Well, I actually don't get a lot of people from BU. I, I meet with a tremendous amount of people from BC Law School. I, I don't oh, know. I don't want to hear I that know, on I, our podcast, Christine. <laughs> I don't know why that but is. That's interesting. But it's yeah, true. That's interesting. It is interesting. Yeah. Um, so, but what I, what I tell people is, you know, don't be afraid to go to these networking events and, you know, mm. don't be afraid to put out your hand and, you know, introduce yourself. And I remember early on when I started to really focus on networking, I started to read all kinds of articles and I approached it the same way I would approach diet or fitness or health issues, you know, just read up and, and get all kinds of different advice on what to do. And I remember reading an article um, about Jamie Lee Curtis, the actress Jamie Lee Curtis, where she said she was always so nervous at these events that she had to go to and she learned how to stick out her hand and say, hi, I'm Jamie. And so I, I always think of that because I think, of course, everybody's going to know who Jamie Lee Curtis is, you know, if you're in a room with her, everyone would know. But I kind of think of that, of her sticking out her hand and saying, I'm Jamie. Hi, I'm Jamie. And I think, okay, I could do that too. So that was kind <laughs> of what I learned how to do is to just, you know, go find somebody in the room. And it always helps if somebody's kind of standing alone because they're going to be very thankful that you're coming over and talking to them and just stick out your hand, introduce yourself and start a conversation and then exchange at some point, exchange business cards, follow up with a coffee or a lunch or some other meeting. And I think one of the things that a lot of young attorneys think is that they're going to go to these events and they're going to walk away with clients. And that's really not what happens. And that's really not how it works. It's really about meeting other people and meeting other centers of influence who then you can help and they will help you as well. And then you'll eventually get clients down the road from that. It's you're spot on with that advice that I think the approach needs to be about sort of doing what you can to help others, knowing that at some point, right. it's, you know, with those connections that you've made, it's going to come back and and hopefully help you when you when you're looking for that assistance. So the, you're absolutely right. right. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, so your current work at Burns and Levinson as a partner, you're in sort of estate planning. I know you work on things involving guardianship, trusts, family business, succession. I have to imagine that. Um, that's brings actually brings you quite a bit of joy knowing that your work is helping support other people and, and making sure they can enjoy theirs. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. So I really enjoy working with families and helping them through life's ups and downs and navigating all the life events that they deal with. And for a lot of families, I become a, more than a lawyer, but uh, more of a trusted advisor. And they'll call me with questions about don't have to deal with the law that have to deal with something else and they'll they'll seek advice 
Um, I can remember one client calling me about whether or not he should get married. And I said, well, I, I don't have a lot of time right now to speak. I have about five minutes. And he said, that's all I need. And, and I thought that was quite, quite interesting. And, and in the five minutes, he decided not to get married, which I think for him was, was the right decision. Um, but it's just kind of curious how, how you can affect people's lives. And it's, it's really wonderful to see uh, you know, clients work through these process, these processes and you can help them with the legal aspects of that. Do you feel like you've been successful? I, I, it's, I'm glad to know that it's rewarding, but do you feel like on a day-to-day basis, you're able to sort of keep your eye on the, the impact that you're having? I, I do. I, I, I do feel like I've been successful. And I think I owe that to a lot of people and a lot of institutions. Certainly, Boston University is one of those institutions. Um, and a lot of it is hard work. And, and I, there is a lot of, to be a lawyer, there is a lot of time you spend alone um, studying. And then when you become a lawyer, there's a lot of time you spend alone in your office working on legal problems or working through paperwork or dealing with client issues and client matters. Matters and you have to like that time alone. Um, but at the same time, you have to also be a, try to be an extrovert and kind of go out there and put yourself out there in terms of developing client relationships and developing a business for the firm. I have to congratulate you. I also know that you were recently named a woman worth watching by the Profiles in Diversity Journal. So that that right there tells you that you, you've been successful. What does winning that award or that uh, mention um, mean for you? Well, it's always it's always very nice um, to to have an award like that, and I'm kind of I guess I'm kind of modest about it. I you know I I just feel like. Well, that's 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 awesome, and I you do feel like you've you've reached you've reached something where other people are are noticing it. And in terms of uh, your career development, it certainly helps in terms of your career development because now other other uh, centers of influence and clients are are seeing that, and they're feeling good about working with you. So it, it enhances your relationships with your clients and and the other uh, centers of influence that you're working with. So when you look back, you think about the experience that you had at BU, at Syracuse, and the, the work that you've done for a couple of different firms. Do you feel like this is the perfect job for you? Is this, has this been a calling that you've uh, responded to? I definitely, I definitely love what I do. Um, my husband and I talk about this all the time. I, I, I feel like I'm in a, in a perfect place for me. Um, I enjoy what I'm doing. I, I, I enjoy what I'm doing. There's certainly an element where work is work, and you know there are some days that are better than other days, and some days you want to pull your hair out. But at the end of the day, I enjoy what I do. I enjoy being a lawyer, and I enjoy the being a lawyer at the firm that I'm at. So for because of that, I'm, I'm very thankful. And any final things to share with, with folks who might be listening, who are thinking about going into a career in law, uh, just lessons that you would share? Well, you know, I think it's a lot harder for kids today. My children are 25 and 21. And I think that as parents, we controlled our children's lives so much in terms of scheduling and in terms of getting them to get into college and finding the perfect college, finding the perfect university. And and you need to follow all of these things. And if you do all of these things and check all of these boxes, you're going to get into the college of your dreams. And I think kids then get to get to that point 
and where they're in college and they don't know what it all means. And I think it's easy for them at times to get lost. I think sometimes they they feel what was it what was the point of it all? They don't see the point of life. And I think sometimes kids get kind of despondent by that. And I would like to tell them, you know, first of all, to definitely reach out. You know, the, no no life is perfect. Nobody, no one is perfect. And you should definitely reach out and, and certainly get help if, if that's what you're thinking about. But um, in terms of like professions, I think kids then think that they have to then work in that same fashion to find the perfect job or profession or calling for them. And it's then I think as, as parents, we're telling them, oh, just find your way. You'll find your way, follow your path. But that's not what we taught them all along. So they're getting these contradictory messages. So I think it's very hard for kids today to navigate once they get into college, what they want to do with their lives. So I think the, the best um, advice I can give them is to just stick with it. Um, it's not going to be necessarily easy, um, but you just have to find a path and you may have to veer off that path or get on a different path, but there is no necessarily perfect path for your life or your job or your profession, but you just have to find what the right path is for you. And I, I know one of my my French books that I had to read when I was at BU was a, a book by uh, Candide, the French author Candide, which is vol- uh, a the novel called Voltaire. I'm sorry. Right, it was Candide Volta- by Voltaire. Candide right? by Voltaire yeah. right. And there's something um, at the end of it, and I'll probably butcher the last sentence, but it's something to the ex- effect of we must all cultivate our own garden. Essentially, everybody has to make their own path out of life. They have to cultivate, make, they have this plot of land and they have to make life, life out of it for themselves. And I think that's so important to think about. And I, I know I've thought about that over the years that, you know, you have to cultivate your own garden. What's right for you may not be right for the next person. And you just have to be happy and content on your life's path. And that's what's most important. Well, you nailed the uh, wrapping it up and tying it back to your undergrad days at BU <laughs> at the end of our interview here. But Christine, thank you so much for, for sharing uh, your, your life story basically with us. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day. Thank you. And I I hope you can use some of it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure we will. Absolutely. My thanks once again to Christine Fletcher. I really enjoyed our conversation. It was fantastic to spend some time with her. And I'm really glad she was willing to share her story here on the Proud to Be You podcast. As you heard, Christine is more than willing to help people out and make connections. So be sure to look her up on LinkedIn. Thanks again for listening to the Proud to Be You podcast. If you like what we're doing, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review Proud to Be You wherever you download your episodes. I'm Jeff Murphy, and no matter where your path takes you, be proud to be you. The Proud to Be You podcast is produced by Boston University Alumni Relations. Our theme is from Jump and APM Music. To learn more about Proud to Be You, visit bu.edu slash alumni slash podcast. <laughs>